I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of my guest today on the program, Lindy Voppenfjord. Let me tell you a little bit about Lindy Voppenfjord. Neither mine nor other people's prospects seem particularly pleasing just at the moment, and I have fantasies of going to Iceland never to return. Edward Gorey once wrote that, and not only do I love Edward Gorey, I love that he had that sentiment because I've always had that sentiment too. For years, I've always had this secret mantra, if it all goes wrong, I'm going to Iceland. I'm not sure Iceland would have me. I suppose it would be smart to check in with them first. Why are you here? They might say, well, things have gone wrong, I might answer, so I thought I'd just drop in. And then they might say something like, well, what do you expect us to do about it? Get back to California. We're busy. My point is, I'm not the only one who has the break glass in case of emergency, now go to Iceland escape plan. But what if you're already in Iceland? Then what? Well, in the case of Lindy Voppenfjord's family, then you go to Canada. At this point, I should add, by the way, that there was no emergency for the Voppenfjord family. They just decided to go to Canada. Born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, to Icelandic folk-singing parents... Lindy and his brother Chris got into the family business early, and they often found themselves on stage playing with their family's folk band, the Hecla Singers. The songs they played were Icelandic, but Lindy and his brother didn't really know the language. Now, traveling across Canada singing traditional Icelandic songs and even dressing in traditional Icelandic costumes was pretty cool. But you know what the young Lindy Voppenfjord thought was even cooler? Judas Priest. That's right. As a young teenager growing up in the mid-80s, Voppenfjord got super into hard rock and punk. In fact, he was so enthralled by the magnetism of those genres, he wanted to do that himself. So, a few years later, he and his brother moved west to Victoria and started the band Northern Junk. Their scruffy, catchy brand of ragged folk pop won them a devoted following. And they had a sizable hit with their song, Russian Winter. After Northern Junk, Voppenfjord put out a string of critically acclaimed solo albums and toured all over the country. In 2006, he moved to Toronto and founded the band Major Maker. They had a huge hit with the song Roller Coaster. The band followed up their debut album with two more EPs, and then they called it a day. Voppenfjord moved to Hamilton, and in 2007, he married bassist Sally Panavas, who played in the Sarah Inksetter band. A new husband and a new father, Voppenfjord stormed back with 2013's Young Waverer album 
and 2016's Frozen in Time followed that. Now, although those are two remarkable albums that displayed Lindy's deft songwriting precision, his new album, You Will Know When It's Right, is his best work yet. Recorded in Iceland, the album is a stirring blend of narrative storytelling and poetic pop. Now, Vapenfjord is a towering 6'8", and the big man has a big heart to match his size. The songs that make up this record are filled with global concern, deep humanity, and enormous grace. It's a rousing, powerful effort. Look, I know it's only April, but you know what? This is one of the best albums of the year. Go get it after you listen to this interview. All right, here's my chat with a man who is a full foot taller than me, but you can't tell when we're behind the mic. All right, enjoy this conversation with me and Lindy Voppenfjord right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Yeah, I've been uh, ramping it up. I've, I've really been trying to um, write as much as possible and to look at the world and find out what I could be writing about and then put it into song. And um, I've really honed the process. I've, I've gone back to school about it. I've, I've really tried to work on the academic side of songwriting and breaking uh, songs down into their individual components and then putting them back together. And then learning that and then forgetting all about that and then starting back fresh from what I know. <laughs> so it's been a really kind of a great growth process over the last, especially the last few years. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean about going back to school? Talk a bit about that. Um, so I've, uh, I've worked with a songwriting coach um, who's like an ambassador to Berkeley and uh and he um, has taught me a lot about how songs tick and um, and all the different parts. Of it. And now I have a lot uh, more understanding of what the tools in my toolbox are called and how to use them properly. And, uh, and it also taught me that uh, there is no such thing as writer's block because uh, writer's block um, happens when you are approaching something from the same place and then and doing the, the same way every time, um, you're going to run out of ideas. You're going to run out of runway. And so you're going to be stuck in your well-worn groove and you need to get out of them. And one of the ways to get out of them is to understand how songs tick and how they work so that you can um, have a different entry point into writing, into uh, exploring songs from, from uh, another you know, maybe a, a melodic rhythm point of view, for example, and or or like a, a poetic point of view, or like a you know even just the song form itself, breaking the song down into its elements and starting from a very basic uh, point of view that is outside of your comfort zone, and and it really allows you has allowed me to come up with things that uh, I've been surprised with, and, and other things that obviously I I throw away, but. <laughs> <laughs> But it's been uh, really a, a fantastic thing. It's, it's given me permission to be more myself in a lot of ways. Because I, you know, there's like, um, I, there are a lot of really good writers out there. And then there are great writers. And then there are also really lousy writers, like really cr- crappy writers. And I think that it's the really lousy writers that may have... Uh, a greater chance of being the great writers because they um, they'll they'll use words that that um, that the good writers will never use because they don't want to take a chance they don't want to take the risk but the risk and and is is really what makes a great writer and I don't know where I'm at on that spectrum but but I'm you know working towards it. Are you speaking purely from a compositional perspective or musical style as well? Yeah, musical style and and composition. Like you gotta like get out of your comfort zone. Like you know, in the way like the Beatles, uh, Lady Madonna with like ragtime and and uh, trying out different styles and, and different genres to take you somewhere where you've never been before. Um, and uh, of course, I I kind of still go back to what I've always been doing, 
but it's helped me um, with uh, with you know allowing myself to plug in what I do into other um, formats. I hope I'm making sense. <laughs> oh, you are. You totally are. And yeah. so I, I'm I'm guessing that like the thing that you do well and the th- the comfort zone that's like the foundational element. Mm-hmm. That's that's essentially who I am. And so once I have been learning all these uh, academic tricks and, and things like this that are around songwriting, which a lot of young writers are now doing, um, then I can put my talent into that, and then it, it, it gets, you, gets me a little further than I was getting before. Was there an element of worrying that maybe it was getting too scientific and you wanted to make sure you kept it organic? How did you keep that balance? Um, so... I think that what I did was I I learned how to do all this stuff and then I I started really like doing all these practice songs um, just to you know just to, like exercises and uh, and then just like with exercises I built up uh, different muscles in in uh, in thought and in and in uh, practice um, and then I uh, when I went to write a real song that meant something to me. Um, it just was a little bit easier, a little, you know, got me a little further. But I, and you know, sometimes I would keep some of these exercise songs, but ultimately, I just learned a lot from that process. Now, you and I are the same age, and I and I like hearing the fact that you feel that you can always learn something new because sometimes mm-hmm. guys our age tend to get a little rutted, and we tend, <laughs> yeah, we tend to. Yeah. <laughs> And I and I think that's just something where that just can happen. So I like that you went this direction. Where did the idea originally come from, Lindy? That you decided to do this. Where was the impetus for that? Um, well, I was uh, I'd recorded um, uh, a few records, and then I went to work with my uh, longtime friend and uh, and bandmate uh, Todor Kovakov, who's a composer. And I asked him if he would produce my album, and. Uh, and he said, yes, but uh, you're going to have to work with a songwriting coach. You need to get better. And so uh, that really hurt my feelings <laughs> at the same time. Um, it was exactly what I needed to do, and I've always trusted him. And uh, so he was right, and that's what I did. Um, and, of course, the, it took a long time for the album to be finished because I had to write all the songs and work on them and get better. Uh, and ultimately that led to the Young Waver album. And be, And then after that... Uh, album, I decided that I could then take on topics that I would never have thought of that I could take on before. You know, like um, writing about Yami Park, the the young woman who uh, escaped from North Korea when she was a teenager, uh, and writing songs about her being reunited with her family in South Korea. The whole journey of, of her travels is just incredible, an incredible story. And uh, and yeah, so writing about her and writing about a, a fellow in Ethiopia who uh, was beaten up by the security forces for holding a meeting to encourage entrepreneurialism, and, and I thought uh, that this guy could use a song, you know, like like his students would surround him to protect him from the from these uh, security forces, and and they called him a force of nature, and so I I wrote a song for him and. And sure enough, he was holding one of his uh, reading seminars, and he sent me a video of him with the uh, song playing in the background, and it was just like, yes, makes me feel so good that I could help him or give him some skip to his step or something. But and uh, yeah, so there are a few other stories like that from from that record, and um, and I think nowadays I'm more writing about myself and my life and who I am and and what I've gone through and stuff like that. By the way, the, the sentiment this guy could use a song is a really beautiful sentiment. I, I love that you said that. That's such a that's such a thoughtful way of looking at the world. Thank you. Yeah. But when, when when you got that initial note, and now I'm I'm good at taking criticism, Lindy. Eventually, so like yeah. when if my friend said to me, "Well, you need to get better." I would have gone, well, I don't need to be friends with that guy. And then I would have come around and eventually yeah. seen that he was right. So I'm kind of curious to know, was, was your first reaction, oh, I hate that guy? Or did you were you able to really see that it was coming from a place that, where you can get your pride out of the way and, and, and see it was constructive? 
<clears throat> yeah, the initial feeling was like um, like I just sort of dropped through the floor in a way. Right. And it felt like that for a few days, and uh, and then I tried to understand uh, what it, how I could I couldn't imagine yet what he meant. I I knew I always wanted to get better, and uh, so it was just a matter of uh, of me just like you said coming around and and then seeing it, and then now I can totally get it, and because of this, I I write a song a week. And uh, so I've got like a lot of songs I can't stop writing. Um, and I, I don't know if any, all of them will ever make it on a record, but maybe some of them, some of them will for sure. <laughs> so artistically, it, it completely opened you up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's allowed me to, uh, to take on all kinds of topics and, uh, and it's allowed me to be myself. And it's, it's sort of, allowed me to become um, one of my favorite songwriters in a way. That's that's kind of weird, but I just really love writing. And I love, like, I'm just so proud of where it's going. At the same time, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm <laughs> getting too big for my bridges or anything <laughs> like that, but, no, but I, mean, I am excited about it, yeah. Well, I mean, the absence of self-loathing is actually very refreshing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look at a guy like Elvis Costello, and, and I he's the guy that comes to mind to me with what you're talking about, where he doesn't seem to have made the same record twice, especially in the last 25 years or so. Um, mm. And from a compositional standpoint, his his lyrics, you can see them change and the economy shift based on the style that he's employing for that particular record. And that, and that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I've uh, yeah, just been yeah, trying to come come like think of something new all the time. Think of breaking through to the other side of of a new of a new thing. And I mean, it's interesting. Sometimes I look at um, all the songs I've written, and then uh, like recently, more recently, and uh, and I think, well, which ones are going to be good enough? Which ones are going to make it on the record? And, I, and it looks like I'm maybe writing two different records right now. And um, and then other times it's like you know with my new record that I'm just putting out now, uh, you will know when it's right. It's uh, that was like a band in Iceland that I um, was invited to perform with, and and uh, they're called Nidansk, and they're just like the most incredible band. They're like a legend over there. Like um, uh, everybody grew up singing their songs, and they've been together for 30 years. And and they invited me to perform with them in Iceland. And then I did that, and they invited me on stage. They learned my songs. I played them in the middle of their set, and then I learned their songs in Icelandic. Um, <laughs> and of course, I don't speak Icelandic, but I learned it phonetically. I I picked the most pronounceable ones of the, of the songs that they gave me to choose from, <laughs> and. Uh, and just had a, a blast playing for like a few thousand people. Um, and then afterwards, uh, the bass player, Bjorsi, and I were drinking. And he said, you should come back and record. We'll give you the band. And so I <laughs> I booked it right away. I came back. Um, and we played. We, like Working with these guys in the studio is incredible because they... Uh, they have a process. They've been making albums for 30 years. And so working with them in the studio is so easy and just refreshing. And they, they, all their parts were done so efficiently and just beautifully. And they play so well together because they've you know, been playing together for so long. And, and uh, unfortunately, when I flew to Iceland to record, um, I had pneumonia. So I, I couldn't do my vocals there. And <laughs> it took a few months for my voice to come back properly. But uh, it all worked out. And uh, yeah, it's a good time. How did the the phone call? That must have surprised you. Did that just come out of nowhere? Um, it was like uh, Daniel is also the singer of another band called Goose Goose, and they're like an electronic band. They've been touring for uh, almost as long. Sure. And uh, and so I met him uh, in Toronto. He had a, a layover on his flight, and we. Uh, a friend of mine invited me to go uh, have a beer with him, and so we were just laughing all afternoon, having a great time. 
And uh, then he brought Nidonsk here to record a, in Toronto to record a, an album. And, uh, and sure enough, they, uh, they were there for five days. And at the end of the day, at the end of the studio session, they invited me to come and have uh, dinner with them. And so we just hit it off. And then a week later, they invited me to perform with them. So it's just it's such a, a wonderful thing. And, and, uh, and I took it so seriously. And it was just one of the greatest things to play for, um, you know, like, uh, like a hometown crowd in a way. Like if you're thinking about my ancestors and my whole family comes from Iceland going way back, but it was so special to, to do that and to, uh, and to sing with these guys. There's just such amazing singers too. Um, and so to have them make a record with me, it was really neat. And I, and I had to pull together songs that would work for that out of, out of the song because I you know, had to throw it together really quickly. And thankfully, I picked um, seven songs that really worked together. And, uh, and that's what we recorded. And then we used one of the live versions of, uh, of Love or Sister, the song. Um, and... Uh, and that went on the record too from that show in Iceland. So I'm really proud of it. How was it playing in front of a few thousand people? As you said, was that nerve wracking? Um, I hadn't done it in like a, a couple of three years. I, I did a tour with uh, White Horse, and we played some big shows and at Massey Hall and different halls across the U.S. and um, just had a blast with that. But but uh, playing for this particular crowd in one of the nicest halls in, in Europe and, uh, and the fact that it, everyone there was like Icelandic and, um, and like hardcore fans of Nidonsk uh, and for them to invite me the way that they did and put me in the middle of their set, uh, it was, I can't think of a better way to introduce or to welcome another artist that you, you know, then to do it that way. A lot of times you just go and open for somebody and that's a really nice thing to do as well. But this particular thing was so much more of like a big hug, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what the feeling that I got from that beautiful crowd. And they were just so appreciative and, and, uh, and it was a really special, special night. You mentioned your family history being, being predominantly Icelandic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, did yeah. did this experience make you think about like I wonder who uh, is in my past and my sort of uh, my ancestry? Maybe there's someone back there who deserves a song. Have you have you thought about exploring your your ancestry at all? Yeah, I know that like uh, when I grew up singing with uh, my parents and my brother and doing that, uh, we had an Icelandic folk singing group singing Icelandic songs. I of course, I don't know how to speak Icelandic, but we learned them phonetically, and and then there's all the stories that go along with being uh, Icelandic. And the, when you're a kid, they tell them to you and keeps you under the covers at night, and <laughs> it's pretty scary. <laughs> and um, I know that my as a teenager, and then my brother and I had a band called Northern Junk, and my brother was the one who would write the songs about you know our grandfather who was a fisherman on Lake Winnipeg and, and, uh, he employed about 40 fishermen, uh, and they would ice fish in, in the winter and, uh, and they had dog teams and, and, uh, those, he would call them bombardiers, which are the, the, the things on the tracks that would go across the ice. And, um, and my mom grew up without any electricity or running water and, and they all had like a tough, hard bringing up, upbringing. And, and then they, um, my grandma sent her into the city uh, when she was 13 because uh, grandma didn't want her all around, around all the other fishermen. Um, so, yeah, but it was my brother that wrote all the songs about the family and about my uh, my grandpa. And so I, I, I think that's a good idea. I should probably get in on that, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think when I sing songs about our family, I'd sing the ones that he's written because he's He's such a great writer too. Yeah, I think if you if you make that record, it should be called "Keep Your Daughter Away from Fishermen." <laughs> yeah, all four forty of them. Yeah. <laughs> How is um, your 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 brother? Do you still collaborate with him at all? I do. We've we've uh, been meeting uh, and we've actually 
worked on a new record is be um, some of the songs that we never recorded with the with, uh, Northern Junk that, that were just going to be ready to be recorded on a new record way back then. But and now there's all these new ones that he's written. And so I definitely were, that is on the uh, schedule for whenever we get together next and, and make that happen. And we've done a couple of sessions over Skype. Uh, we've sent recordings back and forth to each other. And, uh, yeah, I, I just love his writing and his talent. He's so good. He just sent me a song the other day. So good. Yeah, I love the the generational um, union of playing with your parents, playing with your brother. I wonder if you're uh, – I think you, you have a couple of kids. I wonder if when your kids get older, you would play with them. Yeah, there's uh, – Joni is five and, and little Gus is three. And, and uh, Joni's already been on, on stage with me twice. Oh wow! Of course, because I've I've written uh, these songs with with them because I was like a stay at home dad, and so I would uh, watch them, and then I'd be writing while I was hanging out with them. So uh, Joni learned all the lyrics to my songs, um, and a lot some of them are the lyrics that she that's what she thinks that they are, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, she sings different kind of words. But then I got her up on stage, and you know, with a little guitar in her hand, and and uh, I didn't have a microphone on her the first time, but you could hear her all the way in, out into the back of the room, the kind of thing. It was a huge, loud voice that she had, and she was singing perfectly in tune and really loud and just uh, so happy to be on stage. Um, so, yeah, so I did it again next time. Uh, she had a microphone, and uh, <laughs> just so cute. So probably we're going to practice. We're going to do more of that. And she's yeah, the other day she asked me uh, if we're going to practice. Can we practice today? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's always better if they come to you rather than you say, it's time to practice. Exactly. Because I know that when I was a kid, we were learning those Icelandic songs phonetically. Uh, it was my Avi, my grandfather, who had the big sheet of paper with the, the words spelled out. And then he had like a, a long pointer stick and he would wave it around and, and we wouldn't get any supper until we finished the whole page. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's a, when they come to you, it's better. (laughs) Yeah. 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 When they come to you, it's better for sure. I mean, when you were a teenager and again, like you and I are the same generation, you must've been listening to stuff that was vastly different from what your grandfather wanted you to play. Oh, totally. Like when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, I was going to, you know, heavy metal concerts. Yeah. She was priest, Iron Maiden, you know, uh, except Queensryche, Whitesnake, Kickaxe, like all these shows. Uh, just loved that music. I still do. And, uh, and then there was a punk rock phase where, you know, dress up with all punk and listen to Dead Kennedy's uh, Circle Jerks, Bad Brains and... And, uh, you know, then no means no. Uh, yeah, just so much great music as a teenager. And, my, of course, my brother was writing. And uh, when I was 16, that's when I picked up the guitar. I was playing drums before that with him. And uh, so I picked up the guitar around 16, and, and that's when I wrote my first song, like, almost right away. And it's, you know, it wasn't very good, but uh, <laughs> the melody was pretty nice. <laughs> Are there elements of, take a, a band like Bad Brains or take Judas Priest, are there elements, just from a purely scientific standpoint, compositionally, are there elements of metal and punk that show up in your work, although not presented in that way? Are there fundamentals that you still, that you have utilized or borrow from those kinds of music? I, I definitely think that they were uh, an influence on me, like, you know, like Judas Priest especially I was so into them and you know if you listen to this, how high his singing voice was and uh, he could really hit the high notes and, and I um, am a high singer too <laughs> you can tell like a tenor a high tenor and so he definitely influenced my singing style compositionally I would definitely think that because I would sing along to it Although I can't like reference a specific song or that sort of thing, like it, for sure is like the moodiness and like like from the album like Sad Wings of Destiny or 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 like uh, you know one of their earlier records, uh, 
that really sort of had a profound impact on me. Like I was emotionally as a writer, as a songwriter, those melodies, those those words, those. And so I think that that for sure. Um, and then I dove into the uh, '60s revivalist movement, and the uh, <clears throat> got so heavy into folk music, and uh, the the uh, anthology of American folk music, which was the catalyst for the 60s revivalist folk music um, movement. And I got to learn all those songs. And uh, yeah, it's just been a real great journey. So many amazing talents out there. What was it about bands like Bad Brains or Judas Priest that was really calling you? Was it just the sheer velocity? It was yeah the excitement the velocity the, the feeling cool, um, you know like the way that they dressed, <laughs> you know it was like, uh, and and of course like Winnipeg at that time was the heavy metal capital of of North America, and uh, I mean they were so into heavy metal and everybody was really on the same page um, about it because when Quiet Riot came. I remember being at the concert and everybody brought rolls of toilet paper and all the stuff and they got booed right off the stage within like three songs because nobody wanted to listen to that uh, brand of what was like considered not authentic um, heavy metal. And and so, yeah, I got really <laughs> behind that <laughs> movement. And it was just feeling, it felt really cool to be a part of that scene. Especially at my age, at that yeah. being 11, 12 years. No, I remember that. I remember those days. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, I look back at it now, and I don't think I really understood how campy it was. Um, yeah. You know, like, I-, I loved Queen, and I was like, I remember thinking when I was 12, I was like, Freddie Mercury must get so many girls. <laughs> <laughs> just, over my head. I just did not, you know, even with Judas Priest, like that sort of the leather. Yeah biker thing like it just missed me entirely and and i just loved yeah. i loved this pure aggression and the fact that even yeah. underneath all that aggression it was always you know still really catchy yeah totally and they worked so hard on their music and they had so many albums of, of uh disappointing sales and difficult you know results and and then eventually they figured it out and, and made it work and and the whole scene was ready. It was like perfect timing. Um, and when they released uh, "Screaming for Vengeance," I mean that record was just mind blowing. Oh yeah, that was a big, yeah. a big commercial record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and guys like, and how about Canadian bands? For you, were you, who were the ones that were on your radar as a kid? Um, as a kid, I guess like, um, geez, which ones, which ones would be Canadian? I never really thought about who's Canadian, who's American when I was a kid. I just was so into the music, but, uh, but there were like some good, like Hickax was uh Canadian, weren't they? I think and, so. And I, I really got into, to, uh, to that band. Anvil? Um, Anvil, yes. <laughs> right. They were, uh, yeah. we were, for us, it was Loverboy. Loverboy was a big one for us over here. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a that's a yeah. Who could deny? It? I mean, those <laughs> <laughs> like those nobody can deny those hooks. No, yeah. no, and, and also you can't deny a guy wearing a red headband. Uh, you know that's that's that that's a gutsy move. I couldn't do that. that it's true. <laughs> that that's the risk we're talking about. <laughs> well, just take your time. You will know when it's right It'll all come around again I'll be on the other side I hope you get to take your turn That you soon meet your match When you reel your fortune in that you get to keep what you catch But it's love, love, love that you want And it's love that you get for free And it's love, love, love that you have 
is not immune to perilous, beautiful skies. I hope your strings stay in tune, sweet love, when you step into the light. And when you make up your mind, Feels like it's time, time, time. We can be more than friends. Cause it's love, love, love that you want. And it's love that you get for free. The Beatles said it's all you need As the branches reach higher to the sky Well, it all started out with a seed Yeah But it's love, love, love that you want And it's love that you get for free And it's love things that I've noticed in your work, in your later work especially, is you remind me a lot of Ray Davies in the sense of the storytelling element of the narrative that, that Ray Davies was doing. I don't know if you were a fan of the kinks at all, but that it really brought his work to mind uh, listening to your oh, stuff. Cool. Yeah, I love the kinks. I never really totally got into uh, them the way that I have with other bands, and uh, but I, I have revisited their music even recently. And and like definitely one of the most important groups ever. And uh, holy smokes, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about that. I'm not like a huge great uh, expert or anything like that. But but I'll I'll take what you just said. I'm gonna think about that and and look it up. Well, when you are telling stories in your songs, when you're writing songs, and they're not about you. Do you feel that even when the, you're telling a story about somebody who is imprisoned, um, you know, falsely imprisoned or someone who's struggling uh, in a certain area, you know, basically someone who's not you, do you still feel that it's about you even though you're writing about somebody else? It's a fine line to, uh, to write. And uh, it's, it's a matter like I, I had to try to put myself in, in uh, like the, that one of uh, James Tooley who was falsely imprisoned um, while he was filming a documentary on uh, these uh, low-cost uh, private schools in the slums in in uh, in India, um, and he was picked up and, and arrested on some false charges because he refused to pay a bribe. And so uh, he actually had a, a prison diary that he kept. Uh, he would write in the margins of this book on Gandhi that he snuck in to the prison and he borrowed a pen from one of the guards and uh and he wrote down his thing and, and I saw I, I met him I saw him talk in New York about all the slums that he's traveled to around the world uh to find these schools uh, popping up in each one of them just an amazing thing that he's found um and so trying to put myself in his shoes was a lot easier once he sent me his prison diary that I and I found out he had it. I'm like, oh my God, you sent me that, sent me that. I bugged him for, for a long time. And then he finally, I think he had to transcribe it from the book. That he, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, when he sent me that, then, then I could put myself in his shoes because I was reading it from his point of view. And, and uh, so I was just trying to tell the story accurately and kind of keep myself out of it, but also, you know, it's not like a, a thing where you can tell a story literally um, the same way. Because with songwriting, you have to move things around and things have to take a different shape and, and rhymes have to work and there are rules. And and so um, 
when when you have to change a few of the words around and you know the story still has to come out so those are the parts that I put myself into it just in making it work and, and putting it into a song you seem like you're a real citizen of the world and are you are you always paying attention to what's happening in the news are you are you one of those guys I, I I come in and out of it. Um, sometimes I'm really into what's like the current events. Most of the time, I keep up. Um, I, I I know there are a lot of writers who are obsessed and totally into like everything that's going on in the in the United States, like political uh, system right now. I I've dropped out of that a bit because it's just a little bit um, too repetitive, too much of the same and. And uh, but as far as um, you know, I'm I'm sort of connected to a, an organization that uh, keeps me informed as to how things are advancing or 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 not in other parts of the world for freedom for um, advancing liberty. Um, and uh, and there are people who are like um, like Yami Park and uh, and like this fellow from Ethiopia. And uh, and I'm learning about some other people in in Venezuela, um, who are fighting a good fight in against the the regimes that they're uh, under which they're oppressed. So I love telling those stories. It's it's the same time telling a story about people who are oppressed. Um, eventually, unless you think of a new way of doing it, strangely it it's a common sort of theme and, and you end up writing the same kinds of things. Cause first of all, it's hard to imagine what that's really like. Uh, and then it's hard to put it together um, in a way that, that each one is a different sort of separate song because you're talking about a similar struggle in a way. And also the idea that like, you know, you don't want to be you know, come across as too didactic or preachy. You just want to tell the story and, give it a voice. And so that's also a fine line I imagine as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. The ones that are preaching, I, I found, uh, I had to throw them away. Like, uh, the one for the Ethiopian fellow, I wrote, um, two songs for him and then I threw both of them away. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to look up, uh, because the student said he was a force of nature. And so, and I know that that line of itself is a little bit cliche, but but I backed it up with um, with the nature found in in, in his home country, and uh, and com- and sort of compared him to these forces of nature, like as an unstoppable force for um, for freedom uh, in in that country where there's so much corruption. What are the things in the contemporary world that you're most passionate about human rights seems to be a huge um, source of interest. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, well, Canada is like a country that has such amazing freedoms and, and it's, uh, it's wonderful that we can even take them for granted. <laughs> That's like a sign that things are going really well for, <laughs> yeah. for us. Um, and at the same time, you know, when when people start traveling and they start seeing the rest of the world or talking to other people in other countries, and that's also where they can truly appreciate the, the freedoms that we enjoy in in Canada. And so, I'm I'm always interested in in uh, the advancement of, of human rights. And most of these situations are huge power struggles and and uh, and people who are are oppressing others um and so yeah and and a lot sometimes that happens in in this country um for sure um and so those struggles are important as well but i find that my interests for writing come from places and people who have been through a different kind of experience than what they would experience growing up in canada today so I think that maybe there's room, actually, maybe I'm <laughs> thinking of an idea. Maybe there's, there for sure are many people who are, have had struggles in, uh, major struggles in Canada, and it would be great to write about those types of struggles in the way, uh, you know, that uh, people have in, in, in this country already. There are other writers who have done that. When I was a kid and I heard Steve, um, 
Peter Gabriel, uh, his song Biko, um, uh-huh. that kind of just blew my mind open where I was like, oh, you don't have to write songs about the girl who doesn't love you. You could write about, you know, real things in the world, injustice, people like you were saying that need need a song. And yeah. then I got, you know, this is obviously before the internet. Then all of a sudden I, I wanted to know everything about Biko just because of that Peter Gabriel song. And so maybe your music can also bring an awareness to so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sinead O'Connor, like black boys on mopeds. Yeah. Um, you know, the clash of, and, uh, you know, the, the hurricane, uh, by Bob Dylan, yeah. like these songs were, you know, very hard hitting and very important songs. Um, and, uh, people would talk about them and, and there would be conversations around them. And, and I just was so interested in, in those conversations as well to get people thinking and started looking at the world. And I just love how artists can like, like Peter Gabriel and those others um, can do that. And so I would love to be able to do that someday as well. <laughs> well, I mean, from a purely scholastic point of view, even though I was moved and I was riveted by being taught about Martin Luther King as a kid, there was nothing that moved me with more immediacy than you two's, you know, pride in the name of love. Yeah, you too. Is another perfect example of it. And even the struggles of, in, uh, in, within Ireland. I'm writing about those. Yeah. And Sunday, Sunday Bloody Sunday. And they, they, they wrote a lot of songs like that. They did a really good job of it, too. They did. That's what I was going to say. Like, they, they were so good at, at, at doing that and, and capturing that moment. And so you can get in like a three or four minute fiery pop song a lot more than you can get from a history class. I'm not saying we shouldn't go to school. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> there are many schools. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the songwriting school, I mean, it definitely, even what you were saying with the Dead Kennedys, and the Dead Kennedys, again, the immediacy, and they were talking a lot about, you know, political stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 So hard-hitting and... and uh... And I remember going to see Jello Biafra speak, and his talking tours were like so entertaining, and also really like getting people to be aware of what's going on around them. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I've I've tried to I've dabbled with that, and I I don't know if I'm like <laughs> I've I've written some songs like that. Uh, I want to write more about it, uh, and. And I've I've tried, you know, to write some more songs recently about um, what's been going on in, in the U.S. I wrote one called Dreamland, and and uh, so I'm working on on some of that stuff as well. I mean, in, in answer to that, we we don't know what the hell's going on here in the U.S. <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're very concerned, Lindy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was at, at the same time like. You know, Canadians and Americans are are such wonderful friends, and uh, and we need each other um, so much, uh, and we're very very similar in so many ways. So there's really, <laughs> I mean, when you think of the differences in the just in the United States alone, just by traveling even two hours in any direction, uh, it's it's like that in Canada it's here too. Like, so. Yeah, it's. I don't know how uh, it comes to be that there, um, that, that people get elected and that sort of stuff. This uh, whole process is such a, an interesting phenomenon. Well, I, I have uh, a people theory. can get behind a candidate. Yeah, my, my theory is is that you know America. Is, so my friend, um, she owns Amoeba Music, which is the like one of the largest independent record store in the states. There's there's one in L.A., one in San Francisco, one in Berkeley. And but she's Canadian, and she was telling me that growing up, uh, she was from Edmonton, and she would see Wayne Gretzky after a hockey game that he where he would you know score three goals and and you know and carry the team to victory, and he was arguably the the biggest celebrity in in Canada, um, and even the U.S. He would just be sitting at the bar by himself sometimes, or just talking to a guy, and nobody would bother him. I mean, nobody would come up to him and have him sign anything. They would, oh, there's, there's Wayne Gretzky. And 
in in the U.S. we have a real cult of celebrity, and I think that part of what happened with uh, with the, with this guy getting elected is I think it was all based on celebrity and and people people sort of putting a lot of stock in celebrities more than any other mm-hmm. kind of person. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that uh, also like the founding fathers. <laughs> Um, never in, intended for the presidency to have the cult of the presidency that it has now. It was supposed to be like the final sober voice. Uh, right. And uh, just how that cult of the presidency has to continue to uh, explode into this huge, huge thing that, that, that is like a, represents the entire country. So uh, on the international stage, uh, it, it was never supposed to necessarily be that way. It's turned into that and yeah so the 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 celebrity factor for sure and so yeah that's what what people will get behind i guess right yeah this will make you laugh about a week ago i was in in san francisco and i was having a cup of coffee and i was talking to this guy and uh, he was maybe he was 25 and uh and he was telling me how upset he was with uh with what's going on in the u.s i said so what are you gonna do he goes i'm moving to iceland bro (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a i i think that's a good good idea for anyone for any reason yeah <laughs> yeah i mean his i mean it's so it's so become i don't know how it was but i know that it is the leader in terms of countries that are progressive and uh, environmentally um you know wise and aware uh, mm-hmm. Iceland really has become the sort of beacon, and so there's this kind of mm-hmm. the, you know the hipster the hipster idea of we're all going to escape to Iceland, <laughs> my crowd <travel> place. <laughs> but the, yeah, I mean, like Iceland's a country where um, women run the show mostly, yeah. and and it's been that way for a long time, and and uh, but it, it took a long time for them to get to that perspective to that uh, point. Um, but they had a bit of an earlier start, maybe than than most other places in the world, with the the strikes that they, where the women would strike, um, and uh, they sure made their presence known, and and uh, they've been the driving force for so much of the wonderful, uh, the progressive things that you're talking about in in Iceland. Have you ever thought about moving there for a little while with your family? Yeah, yeah, there was there was talk about that. Um, you know, just for like a year even, it would be really, really great to, to live there and to have the kids speak Icelandic and all that stuff. But and like for, for me, when I was growing up, I never learned Icelandic because um, it's like a secret language. There are so few people, when you look at all the languages <laughs> that are spoken, who, that speak Icelandic. So, uh, and uh, like Icelanders cannot really be understood by even Swedes or Norwegians or Danes. It's really like a, a, a very old Norse type language, the language of Beowulf. And and so um, in Canada at that time, it was the time for integration, like, you know, getting completely immersed in, in whatever was happening because there was othering of people, othering of immigrants. And the Icelanders felt that in Winnipeg when they first arrived there, um, with signs in, in, in the stores that said Icelanders, like ghoulies, uh, need not apply. Um, so there's always been that sort of, yeah, <laughs> just a, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that there, that mm-hmm. there was, that there was a backlash. Yeah, there, there was, I think with a lot of different groups of people, there was a lot of, you know, um, fear. I mean, so yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting thing with the uh, um, the hockey team, like the the Winnipeg Falcons. That's uh, back in the 1920s. We want to go back to this uh, before the before the 1920s, like in the in the teens there, um, before the First World War. Uh, there was this hockey team, and they couldn't play any of the other like regular in the in the bigger league. In Winnipeg or the provincial league, they would not be allowed because they were all Icelanders. They were all outcasts in a way. And then the uh, the First World War happened, and they 
came back and uh, most of them came back. And then they were all photographed in their soldiers' uniforms. And then they were accepted, and that allowed them to compete um, where they handily uh, beat the Winnipeg team. And then they went provincial, they beat the provincial team, then they beat the Western team. And then they traveled across on the train to Montreal, and they, uh, they won the Allen Cup. Um, and from there, that meant that they could finally go to uh, compete at the Olympics, uh, which is the first Olympics to have hockey. And uh, and so they, they went over there with their sticks that they had carved from the trees. And, <laughs> and they uh, won gold for, for Canada. And, and uh, every one of the team members was an Icelander except for one. I uh, was a Ukrainian, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I didn't realize that when the, with the sign saying, you know, Icelanders need not apply, I didn't realize there was such an influx that that would even be something that was worrying people. Yeah, I, I didn't know that until it was uh, uncovered by uh, uh, Ryan Aford at the uh, University of Winnipeg, who uh, looked into this, and, and, uh, and so that was found. Um, I'm not sure if that's been known all along, but I only learned about that um, in the last few years. It's really interesting because I know that Canada oh. is has such a large group of immigrants from all over. I mean, from the Ukraine, from uh, you know, from Iceland, from everywhere. And it, it's interesting to hear that piece of information. Yeah, I think it was the old uh, sort of the wasps, like the the British. Um, stronghold uh, that uh, the dominion of Canada, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the ones that, uh, that burned down the white house <laughs> back in the 1800s, 1830s, anyway, that old guard, you know, is still trying to hold on to the power of, and there was a lot of corruption then too. But, uh, thankfully there was a thousand years of British law and British common law that, um, allowed Canada to develop the kind of society that we have today and the rule of law that we have today. Tell me, what is what is next for you? Uh, the plan is to uh, put the record out and play some shows and, and to, um, to get over to Iceland and play over there. Um, it's on the radio. It has been on the radio in Iceland for a few weeks now, and it's uh, playing a lot. And I'm really excited about that. And we're starting to get traction on radio here. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've got a, a team that's working this record and uh, looking at some festivals this summer. Um, and then in the meantime, I'm also writing uh, like a song a week, like I said, and uh, working towards uh, making my next record, which is going to be close on the heels of this one, I think. That's really cool. I like hearing that because, you know, I always feel that when we were younger, it's like, oh, I have plenty of time to do everything I want. And now I kind of feel like, you know, uh, you know, here in my mid 40s, I want to get some stuff done. It's true. And I, I've actually been more productive after having kids than I was before, which is really weird. Yeah, because you, you hear the <laughs> I opposite usually. how to do things. In, you, you, I guess you learn how to do things in installments. Because there's always interruptions and always uh, just stuff you got to do and lack of sleep and so. Well, is it that kind of moment where you're like, "Oh, the kids are asleep. I'm going to see if I can grab 20 minutes and, and get a song done." <laughs> so usually it's multitasking and and doing it in, in installments. I think by yeah, if they if they're sleeping in the morning or during the day, then for sure. And now they're starting to get a little older. They drop their naps. Um, but they're in school now, so there's more time. And is there a chance that you will come to the U.S., or is that not on the books right now? Uh, there is definitely a chance, and I I, uh, I know I'm coming down to Indianapolis uh, next month to work on the a project at the American Songbook um, to uh, um, look through the, the all the songs <laughs> in in that archive, huge amount of songs and a huge amount of material. Uh, and we're going to be talking about how um, freedom and liberty play into the music and, and what messages um, and where did they start in songwriting in the American Songbook. And, uh, yeah, I'll tell you more about that another time, I guess, because 
I'm just starting to get into all that right now. That's I'd love next, to hear more about that. Yeah. yeah, that means that means you get to come back on the show because I want to hear I want to hear all about that. Yeah, I can't wait to to learn all about it myself. It's a, it's going to be quite a, a thing to learn. It's going to be a huge mountain of material to go through, and and I just got um, a lot of the reading material now, and so I'm super excited about that. It's interesting. It reminds me of how Billy Bragg sort of got into the Woody Guthrie stuff. Um, you know, that sort of just sort of going through uh, this body of work and and trying to sort of figure it out. Yeah, totally. And oh, Woody Guthrie, what a what a great writer! Oh my god. I know. <laughs> I know. And and I got to him late. I, I discovered him. I discovered him way after Quiet Riot. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> Yeah, but we we could you know when we get together it'll be uh we'll, we'll go through the timelines. I bet you that there's a lot of uh, similarities. I bet we have the same the same record collection. You know, I'm I'm yeah. down here in San Francisco. I think that'd be a great place for you to play. I think people would love you here. Oh, I love it down there. I remember when I was a kid, I went to San Francisco and uh, and I cried when I left because I didn't want to leave. It was so beautiful. I loved it so much. I think people would go nuts for you here. Awesome! Thank you so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely work on that. Yeah, I gotta I gotta get my team going. We'll find the the right agents, the right shows, and and uh, yeah, I hope that things go well and I can I can come down there because I I would love to. Um, it's been a, a few years since I've toured in the United States. Well, we'd certainly love to have you down here, Lindy. I just want to say thank you. What a marvelous conversation! I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on your show, and and uh, it was such a joy to talk to you too, and to, to discuss these things. And I don't really talk about a lot of this stuff um, in in interviews or not, but I understand that this is what what you're doing, and so I'm really I was really happy to talk about it with you. Lindy Voppenfjord, ladies and gentlemen. What a nice guy. Uh, go get his new album. Go to his website and buy it there. Uh, you know, I know that his last name sounds confusing to spell. He has thought about that, and uh, he's not going to make it hard for you. Just go to lindymusic.com, and uh, everything you need to know about Lindy Voppenfjord will be found there. That's Lindy with a Y and music with a U. Okay. All right. My name is Alex Green. My website's super easy to uh, access. AlexGreenOnline.com will do the trick. Now, if you tend towards social media like 99% of this world's population, then follow me on Twitter, for God's sakes, at Ember's Editor, and follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. You can always email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Maybe there's someone you want me to get on the program, or maybe there's someone you want me to bring back. Drop me a line, put your request in and I'll do what I can, okay? By the way, you can also use the email just to say hello. You don't have to have a request at all. You can just say, hey, I was thinking about you. Aw. Uh, I would appreciate that. Who wouldn't appreciate that? You know what else I'd appreciate? If you would go to iTunes and subscribe to Stereo Embers of the Podcast, maybe leave us a rating. If you have a couple stars kicking around, maybe throw us a few. I don't want to get too specific, but how about five? Would five of them work? <laughs> we'd, we'd like that. Uh, all right, that's the show. Let's close things off with a new song from Lindy Voppenfjord. This is the first single from his album. It's called Love Me Like That. Enjoy it, and I will see you next week for another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. You were the singer in a rock and roll band, and it was turning out just like you planned. Songs you wrote on everybody's mind. And stepped out over the line Overnight sensations and one night stands Flip through billboards, see where you land Covers of magazines, pretty girls As you sing your song Just a
well-known fact You never quite know what's coming your way Gone tomorrow, but still here today If you could turn it back, I know you would Not ever knowing if you were any good And make believe you were the real thing Yeah, you had no voice, but man, you could The scars on your back take longer to heal You remember the pain, you remember the feel I need you to love me, love me like that I need you to love me, love me like that I 